and welcome. Since we're looking to increase our ratings, and since true crime podcasts are the most popular, we're introducing a new segment, Cold-Blooded Kintner, the story of Amity Island's most successful serial killer. Twitter user Panda posted a production photo from Jaws showing Bruce the Shark opening his eponymous mouth and swallowing young Alex Kittner in a single bite, a shot that was not included in the final cut of the film. But if you examine the photo carefully, you'll see Alex lying flat and inert on the raft like he's already dead. And it's long been our theory that Mrs. Kittner killed the kid probably for a sizable inheritance that he had coming, you know, what those New England old money families are like, and then framed the shark for it. And then she followed it up with that whole black veil slap the police chief scene, which in my opinion is pure Columbo villain theatrics. Season three, season three, Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C, with Blanche and John, the crew, with new movie, it's so much fun that you'll have, have to pee. pee, it's gonna cure your apathy, and on we, it's the Slumgullions, we're still booking ghosts on the Slumgullions, you're not getting ghosts on the Slumgullions, should probably fade on the you are so right, Mr. Clevenger. In fact, I believe, I firmly believe that she is the Hannibal Lecter of shark movies. She freaking killed everybody. Chrissy Watkins, oh yeah, absolutely. Ben Gardner, absolutely. I just think she was having an affair with Ben, and he broke it off. Ah, well, you know, that whole decapitation thing does speak of passion, and it does seem like it was personal. I'm telling you, the shark, the shark is not the problem. It's entirely the woman's fault. Uh, do you think she killed Quint? Ah, uh, she, uh, well, she hired the shark to kill Quint. It, it all makes sense now. It's the woman's fault. It's always the woman's fault. It will always be the woman's fault. Gee, who do I sound like? <laughs> it started with Eve. <laughs> Hello, folks. Welcome to... We actually are doing shows again. Yay! Yay! It is officially season three. We have a new theme song. I have a new set. Scott has a new bag. I have a brand new pair of roller skates. He has a brand new key. And we are back to the same crap. Pretty much the same crap. But you know what? It's a new year. So it will be slightly different crap. There will be small, minute variations in the crap. So... Don't think we're going to do exactly the same stuff. Today, for instance, we're going to completely mix it up or we're going to mix you up. I'm Um, already confused. I am too. I am too. Because you've probably seen there's a whole movement online, a group of impassioned, I guess, people, people, I guess people, I would say trolls, I would say uh, sub bridge dwellers, but people who ostensibly consider themselves Star Wars fans, who have written an official letter to Lucasfilm announcing their intention to remake The Last Jedi. In addition to this um, campaign to remake The Last Jedi, also sent their manifesto to Lucasfilm. We cannot forget the manifesto, Scott. We can try to forget the manifesto. Well, as I said, if you're, if you're going to write something that stentorian, uh, which which includes randomly capitalized nouns like the Declaration of Independence. You really should add the elongated Fs 
from Colonia America. So it's like, uh, you know, we the genuine Fatar Wharf fans. The Wharf fans? We're mixing, we're mixing shows here, Scott. Well, you know what? The Wharf fans. The Wharf fans. Uh, <laughs> but the thing that got me about that, we, we we can we'll have our fun, but I really do want to broach kind of a serious subject here, folks. Sorry to bring it down right in the premiere, but this is kind of important. In this particular manifesto that was released, and the thing that I liked about it was it looked like it was drawn with half, it was written with half a box of Crayola crayons. They make the comments, and I think you re- you read this thing, Scott, so I, you can back me up on this. Towards the end, when um, they make the comment that if you do basically, if you do not acquiesce to our demands, here is what we're going to do. Oh, did they make threats? I don't remember that. There was only one real line that was a threat. And this is the thing where I was like, really, guys? And I am paraphrasing here. I should have actually looked it up. I didn't want to read it again. Sorry, folks. But um, there there is a line. That says that they, the true Star Wars fans, will do whatever, I believe the phrase is, will block or will do whatever they can to prevent the people from Lucasfilm ever working in the industry again. Not just in Star Wars, but they say the industry. That's the kind of power they wield, apparently. Because they are the fans. They are, are they? the true Star Wars fans. Oh, and by the way, real quick side tangent here. I know you may have seen this, Scott. I don't know if you did or not, but for those folks who don't follow me on Twitter, I reposted their particular manifesto, and I reposted it with the comments as someone who's been a fan since 1977, before this was before Star Wars was even called A New Hope, I reject every single word of this. And I also sent it to a couple of the Twitter feeds that I know who are in the, this particular movement, including the remake Star Wars Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. I got absolutely no responses back. Really? Nobody challenged me. Nobody insulted me. And I was completely left alone. I tried to start some shit. All right. You know what? Let's let's just read the thing and let everybody experience it for themselves. And they can Did judge what we're being. I found it. I just found it right oh, now. Oh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, for your entertainment and edification, we present the dramatic reading stylings of young Scott Clevenger. We the fans of Star Wars. We the staff. Never mind. Go on. Sorry, I was gonna do. <laughs> I was gonna do a schoolhouse rocks interjection there, but no. You continue. Just read the damn thing. But when I was when I was reading it, I was hearing like this really needs a schoolhouse rock song. I mean, this. We really needs- the true fans in order to form a more perfect Star Wars. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Go on. Do this day send forth this declaration to the president of Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy, and to all people in the world, world capitalized, president capitalized, declaration capitalized, to make clear to all the purposes, capitalized, and goals, capitalized, of this capitalized rebellion. We firmly acknowledge the importance and necessity of the control of the franchise being in the hands of one person. We accept that for a contiguous, non-contradictory continuity to be established, much of the old must be done away with to make way for the new, so that we, capitalized, can enjoy this universe without questioning how something makes sense. I'm already questioning how this is making sense, but anyway. (laughs) We believe that those in charge of a franchise... (laughs) All right, I'm not going to do the Fs, I promise. (laughs) 
derives its power as a creative force from the consent of the fandom of that franchise. They really are. <laughs> they really are. Just did a global search and replace on the Declaration of Independence. This is pretty. We believe that should fans lifelong fans especially, be purposefully shunned, insulted, and tossed away by those at the head of the franchise, it is the inalienable right of said fans <laughs> to boycott or force change in such leadership. We believe that Lucasfilm has willfully and malignantly discarded the fans in the sole pursuit of a misguided political agenda, and therefore it is our inalienable right to refuse to fund the franchise and to call on Disney to change those who are in charge of Lucasfilm. So it's a whole SJW rant. Ah, okay. <laughs> we do not take this course lightly. No, man. I mean, you made your you made your fake Declaration of Independence look like the Desiderata. You spent at least ten minutes in Photoshop on this thing. I do not think you took this lightly. <laughs> oh, Scott, you just got bonus points for that line. Thank you. Franchises long since established should not be changed for slight and transient causes, but when those helmet a franchise display a history of callous disrespect of said franchise, it is lo its long and storied history and its massive fan base displayed a clear design to subjugate totally and absolutely the characters we have come to know and love solely to push a social narrative. It is our right, our duty, to depose of that leadership. The short history of the current leadership of Lucasfilm is that of continued grievous offenses and insults against all consumers who have been fans of the franchise for any period of time before it was purchased by Disney. And now, here is their list of grievances. <laughs> you have disrespected the characters of the original trilogy, treating them as mere tools and stepping stones for new characters rather than the heroes they actually are. You have used your new characters as toys and tools to push an agenda of masculine inferiority. Well, that explains my um, erectile dysfunction ever since Han Solo. Got, haven't gotten one since Han Solo fell off that catwalk. <laughs> it's all making sense now. You have lied to George Lucas. Well, he lied to us when he said, hey, you're going to love the new Star Wars. When you told him that legacy characters would be protected and make sure they would continue to live in the way that he had created them. Uh, awkwardly. Out of wood. <laughs> and you lost yours since Han fell off the cowboy. Exactly. So there you go. Again, it's all connected. You have lied to George Lucas when you said you wanted to do something for the fans and have now fully reneged upon that promise, telling Mark Hamill that the stories you want to tell matter more than the fans. I wonder, I wonder how Mark feels about this. I have a feeling Mark finds you people very funny, but that's just my opinion. You have given the core trinity of characters from the original trilogy terrible send-offs. I know, they just went like got a sheet cake from Walmart. <laughs> Luke Skywalker dying as a sour old man who couldn't be bothered to come help his sister in person or mourn the loss of his best friend. I don't know. That's how I expect to go. Han Solo dying by the blade of his own side. Ah, man, that sounds dirty. Did they mean it to sound that dirty? <laughs> <In a> <laughs> <laughs> Did 
It sounds taboo. In a move yes, that does. ultimately had zero impact on his psychological state moving forwards. I assume they meant the son and not Han, because I don't think his psychological state moved forward much beyond his death. Honestly, but. at this point, I could be. it could be the dad. It could be Han. Who knows? It's really confusingly written. Leia flying back to the Radis in a comedic scene that reminds one of Mary Poppins and will shamefully forever be how Carrie Fisher's last outing in film will be remembered. Well, why don't you just unzip and piss on her grave, man? Okay, now, playing devil's advocate, and I am only playing devil's advocate, I do agree that that scene was very silly. That being said, that is not my takeaway of Carrie Fisher's final performance on screen. Nor is it mine, and it isn't even at the end of the movie. She actually has, exactly. a, she actually has several touching scenes toward the end. Strong emotional scenes after that. But so. no, all they want to remember is Mary Poppins. But that's fine. That's fine. You can do that. You take away what you will. Art is subjective. We both know that. I think but they these just, people are wrong. I agree they're entitled to their subjective opinion while at the same time being objectively wrong. Yes. All right. You have shamelessly attacked anyone who voiced a negative opinion, calling them racists, sexists, misogynists, telling them that they must have a problem with strong women, telling them that only overweight white males and members of the alt-right dislike the direction you are taking the franchise. Wow, somebody really took this stuff personally. (laughs) Somebody is looking in a mirror. Somebody feels like they are being called out. All right, so just on a side note, we now know that this has been written by a racist, sexist, Oh, overweight white misogynist because apparently he identifies with that character you have refused to acknowledge any complaints as legitimate from the fans and do not even recognize that people who are not male and are not caucasian dislike your modus operandi as well yeah they're just too smart to write a letter like this we the fans of star wars do therefore in the name and by the authority <laughs> of the yes, free the authority Oh my god, wait, let me start that over because this is this is this pays off in so many ways. <laughs> we the fans of Star Wars do therefore in the name and by the authority of the free market of the world solemnly publish and declare our intentions. Wow, they're they're invoking the authority of the free market. <laughs> the entire Walt Disney Company is gonna get pimp slapped by the invisible hand of adam smith okay here are their intentions we know their grievances this is what they're going to do about their grievances to fight and oppose you and your socio-political ideals by any and all means at our disposal to refuse any decree from lucasfilm as to what we should like that is contrary to the right of opinion oh that's capitalized by the way to bring about your destruction and the destruction of your career in anything relating to filmography. It's not actually how that word would be used, but okay. To forever restore the true characterizations of these beings in a galaxy far, far away. Now, this is every letter capitalized here. To these ends, we pledge our merchandise, our honor, and our wallets. See, when it gets to that, that whole our honor, our, sec- our sacred fortune. This makes me think that this, that this has got to be a joke. This has got to be a joke. Remember, Scott, I did that deep dive into the hate. Yeah, no, no, no. I know it's, I know it's genuine because y- you, you, you looked into it. 
But when I first read it, I was laughing. I, th- I thought, oh, this is actually a pretty good satire of the uh, attitude of entitled tantrum throwing fanboys whose diapers are always filled with steaming resentment and outrage, usually over the dumb old girls that have given their franchises cooties. I- I'm not entirely sure. And I don't know if you saw it or not, but there is this brilliant feed that's going around on Twitter explaining how these per- these particular people completely have misinterpreted the end of Return of the Jedi. And this is what's fueling their um, psychopathy where, mm-hmm. the, where, where the character is concerned. Because everyone is like, you know, as they say in the declaration, you know, Luke died in a horrible way and blah, 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 this, and he didn't die as a Jedi and blah, 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 this. And they expect, like, they see the end of Return of the Jedi where Luke beats the shit out of Vader. Mm-hmm. That's what they see, that he is the badass that beats the shit out of Vader. And that um, he benevolently does not kill Vader at the end. And that since he beat him, I have beaten you, then it is okay. And that's not how it ended at all. He realized if he killed Vader, he was going to succumb to the dark side. Right. It was, that's, that's the whole point. Uh, he, this, guy, this guy posits that they are completely misinterpreting what that moment means. So, and if you think about it, the end of The Last Jedi is it is a complete... Not, not, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It is a complete follow-through of that. He destroys the bad guys non-violently. And still beats them. I mean, it's... And it's... he beats them, and he beats them non-violently. He does not make that cross over to the dark side. Right. Well, when you, you see people who have these convictions, these strong, unfulfilled feelings about the way a work of art, just meant to entertain them, should have gone... That's somebody who's spending way too much time in their own headcanon and has worked all this out with their action figures in the living room. And they just are incapable of engaging with anything on its own terms because is, they want to, they, it's like their play. It's like, you know, you play with your action figures, you, you can make it go anywhere you want, but that's, that's fine. But these people want to buy $200 million action figures. And they they don't want that. They want to play with Lucasfilm's action figures. Yes, and that's just not right. They they feel that they can that they can tell better stories. They can tell better stories. So here is my declaration. I, I will I will use our our season premiere to make my own little declaration. Now then, as I kind of said on Twitter, I'm restating the beginning here. You may agree with me on this. I'm pretty sure you will here. But once again, as someone who has been a fan since before Star Wars was since before Star Wars was called episode 4 as someone who has been with the franchise for its entire length of existence not only do i reject every single word of that and do i reject the whole co- idea of these people remaking the last jedi allow me to say as a fan from the very beginning you people are fucking morons you have every right to your opinion. I have every right to call you a fucking moron. I'm going to say it again. Fucking moron. Please come at me. Please, please come at me. I tried to start some shit and you left me alone. I wonder why that is. Maybe because you can't argue with me? Please try. Oh, no, wait. You'll just call me a name. So never mind. Just shut the fuck up. Nobody cares. Nobody fucking cares.
For my point, I reject we, the fans of Star Wars and all their works. <laughs> and say fervently, get thee behind me, morons. Do you remember back in the day when people just had these conversations amongst themselves and there wasn't an area where they could post it for the whole world to see? Uh, yeah, it was mostly, uh, it, it was high school involved one really soggy joint, sometimes like a third of a six pack that uh, someone had stolen from their dad. None of it was ever interesting, but you know, you were high and there was nothing else to do. You clearly, you didn't have a date. So it was a way to pass the time, but now it's not a, it's not a pastime anymore. Now it's almost like a job for some people. You look at how much they post, how often, how many hours of the day. So do you have a job? Do you have a, like a regular job that doesn't involve being stupid on Twitter? <laughs> how much does that pay? Yeah, because I could do that job. There would be no problem. But I just don't know where to apply. I don't think I want to know where to apply because I think it would be in a basement somewhere and yeah. there would be a very scary man in some soiled underwear who has you sign something in blood. Kind of. Or another substance, which could be even more disgusting. Right, and no one can hear your screams from the basement over the thrum of the washing machine and dryer going. <laughs> no, okay, we do. Actually, no, I don't apologize for the tangent. We had a little comedy bit that we were going to do to make fun of these people, but you know what? Their own words make fun of them more than enough. But that being said, let's play. Okay, so what I was thinking was, if you're going to remake movies that were literally out in theaters six months ago. All bets are off. You can do whatever you want now. You can remake any film, no matter how successful. In fact, the more successful, the better. Not necessarily the better the film, the better, but the more successful. This broke a billion dollars at the box office and, and drove several people insane. So it's obviously a powerful work of art. So I thought, let's give each other without any warning. I, I haven't heard his list. He hasn't heard mine. Let's give each other three films and... You tell me, and I will tell you, how we, we would remake them. Do you want to go first? You can go first. You, you, bring, bring it, buddy. Bring it. Okay. Titanic. Okay. Ooh, I have no problem with this one. All right. First off, it's a 90-minute movie. <laughs> I like Actually, it already. You know That's all I'm going to say. It's a 90-minute movie. That's enough. All right. You know what? I would have... Ser- when I walked... When, no, seriously, dude. When I walked out of Titanic... When I saw that in the theater, and true story here, I saw it late. So I'd already had like almost a whole year of people telling me it was the greatest film ever made. So I walked in saying, okay, motherfucker, impress me. And of course, it didn't live up to expectations. But the one thing that I thought of walking out of it, besides how I hated every single character in the film, was if it had been two hours shorter, I think I would have liked it. You wouldn't have had time to... to start hating the people they would have just been annoying. exactly like, how long is do you know how long the 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 other the 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 black and white titanic film is it, it would be less than two hours considering it was like exactly i mean less than two hours and it's a much better film i'm sorry <laughs> it's a oh. better movie well yeah it has something but, to do with titanic and not james cameron's weird uh, personal obsessions i mean mm. here, here's how i would remake it uh, get, yes. rid of, get rid of Jack and Rose, or rather, make Jack and Rose the Strausses. You know, that touching German couple where the, the wife gave up her place in a in a lifeboat because she said, you know, I've been with Mr. Strauss my whole life and I'm not going to go on without him. And they went down together yep. through sheer love. Yep. That's 
that's the story that James Cameron cut because he said, yeah, there's really no compelling. I had to invent Jack and Rose because there were no compelling love stories on the on the actual Titanic. Well, of course, remember, this is from the same man who said that, you know, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman isn't a true superheroine, unlike um, Sarah Connor. Gee, I wonder why he said that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. sir. My turn. All right. Ahem. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay. Citizen Kane is now the story of Rupert Murdoch, a man who builds an empire and then permits his own ego to destroy it. Uh, Murdoch fixates on turning Bill O'Reilly from a low-rent tabloid TV host on a current affair into a world-respected opera singer. Uh, because uh, Rupert's convinced that O'Reilly's dewlap, which is kind of preternatural, can swell up like the croak sack of a toad to produce a rafter-rattling basso profundo. I don't know if that's actually a thing. But it doesn't work, of course, and he becomes a laughingstock and a ruin of a man who dies mouthing nonsense about his knickknacks. Um, oh, uh, and instead of a sled, Rosebud is a butt plug, because that's actually what it sounds like. Here is how I would remake it. Mm -hmm. I would make it in color because nobody today wants to watch black and white movies anymore. Oh, that's true. By the way, Titanic, 1953, that's the one you were talking about with Clifton Webb and um, Barbara Yeah, isn't it A Night to Remember? No. Is that what it's called? That's another one. Oh, okay. How many many fucking Titanic films have there been? Oh, there was a a really successful one made in the 30s by the Nazis. It's a story that's been dramatized a lot. The Titanic, 1953 was an hour and 38 minutes. Okay. That's it. There you go, folks. There you go. Exact same fucking story told in half the time. A night to remember, in all fairness, was two hours and three minutes. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Still not three hours and 45 minutes. No. Next one. Next one. Day of the Dead. No. You have to. I'm sorry. It's been remade twice. Okay, fine. All right, fine. Fine, fine, fine. Okay. Now, first off, I will say that um, personally, personally, uh, outside of this particular game, I would not remake Dawn of the Dead because, I mean, Day of the Dead, because that is my favorite of, of Romero's original trilogy. And I think it is a damn near perfect zombie film in my own home of the butt. If I have to remake it, okay. Let's see here. Cut the female scientist because women can't be scientists. As we all know. As we all know, it has been scientifically proven that women can't be scientists. We scratch the woman because she is, if you look at that movie, she is the cause of everyone's problems. Well, again, it's, is, it started with Eve. Exactly, because if that had been a guy, he would have listened to Rhodes, and Rhodes is the real hero. That's it right there. The film would be all about Colonel Rhodes. He would be the only survivor. He would shoot Bub in the head. He would be the guy running around with two machine guns in his hands going, eat it, zombie, boom, 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 boom. It would become a Michael Bay action film. Or a Duke Nukem game. Exactly. Duke Nukem, the zombie epic. There we go. That is how I would, if I have to remake Day of the Dead, that's how I do it. You know, actually, if you went into a studio executive's office and said, okay, it's Duke Nukem meets Day of the Dead, you would probably get funding for that film. Yeah, I know. Sadly, I completely agree with you. Quicker than you would a remake of uh, The Last Jedi, anyway. Okay. Oh, speaking of remakes... Speaking, oh, actually, I, maybe I should call them requels. Real quick tangent before I give you ne- my next film. I just found this out like about an hour before we started recording this. We're getting a new RoboCop. 
What? They just gave us oh, wait, a new RoboCop. Wait, 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 wait. Here, here's, here's the deal, though. Um, it is a direct sequel to the first film. It is called RoboCop Returns, and it is being directed by Neil Blomkamp. So that's nice he's getting some work, but wait a minute. So the character is going to be Murphy and whatever Nancy... Uh, who oh, is? Lewis. Lewis Lewis. Yeah. All I remember is her last name was Lewis. I don't remember what the first name was. Right. So they're going to be the, the characters? I, I do not know. All, all I saw was that it is, it is going to be a quote-unquote direct sequel to the original. Okay. So, yeah, we're getting, we are getting more RoboCop. Although, Grant said after that last one, a, a movie guy that I follow on Twitter made a comment about it. And I said to him back, is it, is, am, I, am I a bad man for just saying at this point, I really don't care? I mean, I like Neil Blomkamp. I really do. But I don't give a shit about another RoboCop movie at all. No, how could you possibly? What is there left? Dude, it's like the Terminator franchise. It's been milked. Bossy is dry. There is nothing more to say. We've seen the past. We've seen the future. We've seen the present. We've done the tour. Thank you. I, I don't oh. want, I'm not excited about James Cameron coming back and doing it. I, and I've heard, I've heard talk of that, too. Oh, no, he's involved. They're filming it right now. There are set Ugh. pictures out now. There are set pictures out with Linda Hamilton. Oh. So that is being worked on right now. I don't think he's directing it. He may be producing it. I think oh, he's involved, but they got Hamilton back. So this is a direct sequel to Terminator 2? I guess. I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. I gave up on James Cameron about 20 minutes into Avatar. Well, if anybody... Uh, stuck around for the uh, bonus track rant about uh, James Cameron on the last show. They'll know <laughs> how we. They'll know how we feel. So let's push. <laughs> let's push All on. All right. Next film. Let's see here. Another classic. How would you remake Greece? How would I remake Greece? Well, I would I'm trying to think of some way I could stop Greece. There's no way to stop it. It's got to be remade. No, um, there's no way. Is Greece a good movie? It, this seems... Okay. A lot of people think it is. Who? I'd like to meet these people, and I'd I... like to sit them down and have a long talk with them why, about why they're so deeply wrong. <laughs> hey, I'm the wrong person to talk to. I will defend Greece too until I die. So well, We're not talking about Greece too. I, I've never actually made it all the way through Greece too, so I, I'm not going to comment on it. I understand why. I, I truly think, do. Yeah. Maxwell Caulfield was all I could take. And then I'm not even sure I got... Wait. Michelle Pfeiffer's in that, right? Yes. Uh, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm just not. You can't make me. I still say to thee that it is the airplane of musicals, but that is neither here nor there. I know. So you think it's deliberately funny. Well, like, like, I, like I told you, like I have said before, the guy who wrote Grease... Two is also the same man who wrote and directed Airplane 2. And he was working on both scripts at roughly the same time. I actually did look into this, so I think there was some bleed through. I really do. It may not have been intentional, but I think it was. I don't think Airplane 2 was that good either. I don't either, but I'll, especially compared to the first one, I'm just saying he was working on the same scripts at the same time. Well, he should have concentrated on one or the other, and maybe they wouldn't have both sucked. I accept that. So how would you remake Grease? If I have to remake Day of the Dead, you have to remake Grease. But it's not a good movie. Who cares how you remake Grease? Okay, fine then. <laughs> how would you remake Lawrence of Arabia? How would I remake Lawrence of Arabia? Well, I'd shoot it in Palmdale, 
for one thing. Because it's not safe in the Middle East right now. We've, we've kind of, we kind of have a bad name there right now. And it's our own fault, but still. Also, the figs are good in Palmdale, I hear. So. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this, this really is a movie that, uh, that is in need of a 21st century update, I think. Uh, I, mean, I mean, all those panoramic vistas fairly cry out to be reshot in 4K IMAX 3D. Um, also, uh, the major Arab and uh, Turkish characters are all played by non-Arabs. Anthony Quinn was Mexican-American. Ella Guinness was a pasty Brit. Uh, Jose Ferrer was Puerto Rican, I believe. Um, so I'd cast authentically when it came to the Arab parts, but not when it came to the British parts, because, uh, you know, fair is fair. Um, in fact, I, I wouldn't even focus on T.E. Lawrence. Uh, since he's a dolorous, opaque, ambiguous, and fairly hubristic character, I would take the the spotlight off him entirely, uh, go in a whole new fresh direction. Um, I would call it uh, Jennifer Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, all those curves showing through that flimsy burnous, if I may quote uh, Firesign Theater. Um, oh, uh and I'd give her superpowers because that's a thing now. Oh, and I wouldn't have it. Uh, I wouldn't have a motorcycle crash because that's kind of tired and passe. Um, I would have him driving the uh, Landmaster from uh, Damnation Alley <laughs> off a cliff. I think. Okay, so Scott, when you put up the thumbnail for this episode, you have to find a you have to find a picture of the Lamb Blaster. No one's gonna know what the fuck we're talking about. That's no problem at all. There. All... <laughs> okay. All right. Here is how I would remake it. I was originally going to do a, a, a another joke continuing on the Let's Bash the Star Wars fans trend, but I'm going to go off on my own here. Here is how I would officially remake Lawrence of Arabia. I'd, re- I'd make it a musical. Mm. Well, let's see if we can get Ken Finkelman, who wrote Grease 2, because he's, he's a proven talent. <laughs> All right, sir. Your final film. Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, you motherfucker. Yes, I am. You motherfucker. All right. All right. Ooh, I got to think about this one here. This is not an easy one. No, it is not. Um, For those of you who don't know, that movie is amazingly important to me. Amazingly important to me. I remember seeing it when it came out, and I was the only person who liked it. Out of everybody that I knew, I was the only person who got it. For years, I spent thinking that that was my movie. And then when I discovered that it was a cult uh, thing, I was like, no, it's my movie. Other people aren't allowed to like it. Okay, let's see here. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Once they discover... That the aliens officially landed when Orson Welles did his War of the Worlds broadcast. The back half of the film would be Buckaroo Banzai and his Hong Kong Cavaliers, not Penny Pretty, because of course Penny Pretty is a woman and she would ruin everything, as it has been proven. It started with Eve. Exactly. They go back in time to the 1930s. 
and they stop the red electroids from ever invading New Jersey. Ah, so there you go. So you just removed the original movie from continuity. Exactly. So not only have you remade it, but you've done what everyone who objects to a remake bitches about. You you literally destroyed the original movie. Exactly. Come at me, motherfuckers. Wow. I don't think I can improve on that. All I, all I would do is just to make it a little more topical, I'd have all the aliens uh, detained at the border and separated from their children. <laughs> and they would be put in summer camps. Exactly. And I would... It's, 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 not, it's not a cage. It's just a room made of chain link fence. <laughs> They're camping. You're camping up, kids. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I'm ra- I am rather proud of my Buckaroo Bonsai remake. Yeah, no, no, because that, that's... We used to have these arguments online, and, and I'm sure people still have them. I've just withdrawn from them, where people say, oh, they're remaking this beloved film. Or they, why don't they remake bad films? Well, bad films don't have a built-in audience. Like with the Ghostbusters remake, you're destroying my childhood. Ugh. Well, unless they can somehow go back in time and erase you, uh, your childhood remains as it was. Time's arrow moves in one direction, my friend. So is it possible they're making you think differently about your childhood? I have that problem every fucking day. There's always something I realize. Oh, man, I was a little son of a bitch. What what a little bitch I was. (laughs) It's like, that's, that's my life. But you have figured out a way to literally... Yeah, because they always say, it's like, hey, this, the original movie's still there. You don't have to go see the remake. Go watch Ghostbusters 84 if you want. But no, we won't have the option to watch Buckaroo Bonsai anymore. We'll only be able to watch Buckaroo Bonsai 2018. Man, you're evil. Okay. Uh, and if you want to hear more of our thoughts about Buckaroo Bonsai, you can listen to episode 16 of The Slum Gullion which I don't remember much about, except I had a migraine at the time. So (laughs) I'm sure that'll be fun for you. Lord knows it was fun for us. Okay, my final film, Avengers Infinity War. Ah, Avengers Infinity War. Well, that one is a little trickier. Here's what I would do. I would take that whole ending sequence when people are are, uh, turned to leaf mold and just sort of blow away in the breeze. I would keep that, but I would make it the pre-credit sequence. And then there's no rest of the movie because I'm lazy. <laughs> here, is, here is how I would have remade it. Although I think I've kind of talked about this before. and I know why they did it. But I wouldn't just kill one. I would have killed. I would have had all of the original Avengers turn to dust. Mm-hmm. Let the new characters deal with the fallout. Bring the ones back who survived their contracts. But no, 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 no. Thor, Captain America, especially Iron Man. I mean, come on. You, I mean, sure, people cried when when people cry when Kong died. People cry when the Kong died. Nobody cry when Jaws died. Everyone cried when Spider Man died. Um, sure, they cried that. But can you imagine the 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 the, the, the wet eyes and soiled hankies if if uh, if Tony Stark had gone to Ash? Uh, yeah, probably. But I mean, they clearly had a reason for wanting original five Avengers to be left, and they oh. clearly got a game plan. So. 
that would have, I think, negated where they go. Besides, they've they've only got them for one more film. They're not going to have them spend half the film dead. They're going to get their money worth out of them. Everybody's contract. Well, again, if I if I was remaking that, I would have had a different game plan for the next film anyway. So, uh, it's probably true. I'm just saying, if I'm if I'm remaking this one and going that way, I have a different game plan for the follow up. So, all right, fair enough. Say, hey, it's it's your franchise. You you made a declaration. Exactly. <laughs> you 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 faked up the Desiderata. It belongs to you now. Exactly. Wow, I that was fun. That was fun. It's a it's a good thing that um, our listeners are mu- are not amongst that crowd, shall we say? Because we could piss off a lot of people with this. Well, episode. they're they're not anymore. If they were, <laughs> and if any of you are out there who happen to have some of these ideas, don't send us messages. Just stop listening and leave us alone. We don't care. It'll be better for all of us. <laughs> we're not going to engage with you we're not going to argue with you you can send us insults we're not going to insult the back we're not going to post them we don't care you're not worth our time you you in fact may not even exist uh i frankly think you don't as a matter of fact i'm going to snap my fingers <laughs> it's the snapshare. <laughs> Okay, so before we start the first ultra, uh, unknown movie challenge for season series three, um, I just watched a movie today, a brand new film that I have not seen before. I am not going to go into massive spoilers because I don't know if you've seen it or whether you want to see it. You probably won't. But I watched a Netflix movie called um, Tao today. Oh, they keep tra- Boy, Facebook is trying to get me to see that. Every single time I log on, there's a, an autoplay ad for Tao. Well, I watched it today because my other half was, had, had been wanting to watch it for a while. He saw a preview, and he was actually waiting for me. Mm-hmm. That's he nice. actually he actually waited for a time where the two of us could, where the two of us could actually watch it. And you will appreciate this, Scott. As we were watching it, he said he said that I'm only allowed to speak in a southern accent, and he's only allowed to speak in an English accent while we were watching the film. <laughs> Ha! Well, that says it all right there. <laughs> and so we watched it. For those of you who do not know, um, the trailer for Tao, which I watched after the movie because I didn't understand why he wanted to watch it after watching the film. The, the, the trailer gives you the impression that it is about a relatively intelligent woman who is trapped in an AI-controlled house who must... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Outthink this artificial intelligence to escape the house. Wait a minute. So it's a remake of The Demon Seed? No, it's not. All right. No, the trailer made it look like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, but no, that, and he thought that was going to be interesting. That's why he thought he wanted to watch it. Well, we, we both watched it. And I was like, what the hell? I know nothing about this movie. A movie I know nothing about? Hell yeah, sign me up. Because that's rare. Exactly. I I am so on board with this. And, oh, sweet prom fuck. How best to describe this? The trailer um, did not do the film justice. That is not what the film is. It it, it is. How best to describe this? Because I'm not going to go into spoilers. Um, There is a good film there. There are some interesting ideas in the film there. And if the film there had been written by a good writer... I think it could have been a good movie, but um, 
there are many moments in the film where uh, we were just sitting there going, wait, what? What? This makes no, what? Really? What? No. No, really? Oh, fuck this. Caution, Tao may cause side effects such as repeated double takes. It's there was there was a there was a double take and a double take. That's 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 eight double takes. Sorry. <laughs> I tried to paraphrase a Deadpool joke and I utterly failed. Oh, well, leave it to the professionals. Exactly. Exactly. But anyway, yeah, seriously, folks, I mean, if if you want to give it a shot, it's there. And I am all for supporting, you know, Netflix doing original stuff and original science fiction. That's freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. And I give them points for trying something a little heady. Right. I really do, because there are there is definitely um, if this had been written by a good writer, I definitely think that there would have been things to discuss after the film, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you never know how good or bad the writer is. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm showing my bias, but a lot of stuff happened between you know the first draft that, and the final cut. A valid point. That is that that is a valid point. Not I mean I I sort of know the industry, but I have not worked in the industry as much as you have. So fair point. Well, there's two things. There's there's um, there's just a bad script to begin with, and for some reason they went with it and thought, oh, we'll fix it, and they never do. There's a good script that's made into a good movie. And then every once in a while, and these are rare, but um, I, I weirdly live for them. Uh, you will be watching a bad movie, poorly executed, bad acting, awful pacing. And you can hear good lines and, oh, that was a nice character moment. Or, oh, I was a little surprised by that. Like, oh, there's a good script underneath this. They actually had a decent script, but they just didn't have the resources to make it. They executed it poorly. Most movies... Nowadays, uh, look uniformly fine. It's rare you see like a hilariously bad movie like you used to see on Mystery Science Theater, where it would just be you know poorly lit or you, you know, it was just like six, obviously shot on sixty millimeter, blown up to thirty five. To see those, to see these nowadays, you really have to scour the PlayStation Store or the Amazon Prime list section to find those. They're still out there. You just actually have to actively look for them now. They're not jumping out and going, "Hi, we're crap." Right. Most films. You know, they're all basically shot in the same digital formats. And most films look OK. They look fine. So you really have to you have to watch it for a little bit before you realize that you that you're suddenly crotch deep in crap. I mean, the, the, the old markers where you're like, who the hell is this? Or, oh, that looks terrible just from the poster. You don't you don't get that as much anymore. Now we think now everybody knows how to use Photoshop. Everything looks minimally competent. So nowadays, uh, there's a lot more crap lying in wait for you, but it's sneaky. Uh, you often don't know it's out there until it's too late. You never hear the crap with your name on it. Oh, speaking of, actually, this kind of ties into what the, the, your, the rant you just gave. Did you happen to see the film The Snowman? It, star, it stars um, most of, of, of um, Fassbender, and it's got um, J.K. Simmons, and it's got Colin Hanks. It's based on a apparently very popular series of, I want to say Swedish, I hope I'm right. Where is Oslo? Uh, Norway. Okay, so it's, okay, the, the Norwegian, excuse me, okay. Um, a, a series of Norwegian novels about a Norwegian detective whose name, as said by Americans, is Harry Hole. I'm not going to touch Harry Hole because I'm a married man. But this does bring up something that's interesting to me. It used to be I dreamed of going to visit Scandinavia 
the land of the midnight sun and and marvel at the coruscating majesty of the northern lights but now it seems like if you go there there's really as a tourist there's really nothing to see except dead bodies ever since the girl with the dragon tattoo uh, this vogue for depressing Nordic murder uh, has kind of gotten out of hand. And there's, there's, you know, Wallander and there's The Bridge and Hinterland, a dozen other uh, series. And I, I always kind of wondered, like, why are the Swedes and the, and the Norwegians and the Finns so uh, obsessed with murder? I always thought that suicide was more their thing, but well, nobody the, does anything. Everybody there is just investigating murders all the time. They're not even, yeah, they're not even making Volvos anymore. Yeah. So the main, the main character is a detective whose name is Harry Hole. Yeah, I heard that. I, I decided to be big about it and, and just keep going. But you, no, you, you seem determined. I'm going there. To make no, a that's point. that's the thing. That is the thing. Can you imagine? Okay, it was bad enough sitting there watching what is supposed to be a gritty seven esque detective thriller whose main character's name is Harry Hole. That was hard enough to get through to begin with. But I found out something interesting. The whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm sitting there going, okay, this makes absolutely no sense. This particular cut makes no sense. This plot, where did this plot go? Where did, how did this happen? And I did a little research. And the reason why I bring this up is this is amazing. 15% of the script did not get shot. Okay, just they they just got bored and wandered off. No, because apparently talking about the shit that happens, you know, is um, they had absolutely no time to um, prepare for this. It literally was like they've been trying to make this film for forever. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the director gets a phone call saying, "Okay, we're doing this now. We have the money. We have to make this now. And they and the schedule, the shooting schedule was was severely limited. They had a very specific window to make this. The movie went through two editors. That's not unusual. But I in liter and in this case though they they were quite literally trying to make an incomprehensible film comprehensible because plot points weren't filmed. Hmm. Like important pieces of the story were not actually filmed. What? Did they just run out of money, or I don't get they it? They ran out of time. I don't get how you can just run out of time that way. It's usually a matter of if you've got money, you've got time. Well, apparently, it also took them a while to get the money. I don't. I honestly do not remember all of the um, specifics as to why it went this way. But I listened to the story, and it was a true clusterfuck of a production schedule. I'm surprised because there are actual recognizable names: Michael Fassbender, yes. Rebecca Ferguson, Charlotte Gaines, yes. Berg, J.K. Simmons, Toby Jones was in this. Chloe Sevigny. Oh, ooh, ha ha! I- Val Kilmer. And here's the worst part about where Val Kilmer is. Here's the thing about Val Kilmer. Now, with all due respect to Val Kilmer, I understand. Really? Are are we giving respect to Val Kilmer now? Well, here's why. The only reason why I did not know this, he recently underwent a very bad battle with throat cancer. Oh, well, now I feel bad. I did not know that. So I, I, I still do not take back any of my previous Kilmer jokes. But just knowing that, know that going into this particular story, he had he, he could not he could not talk very well over the course of this movie. Apparently, his voice is I'm going to go for the joke. God, forgive me. Very Ann Ramsey. Mm. That's how bad the voice is. OK, well, they dubbed him 
And in the two scenes, he's he's and every scene that he's in, they try that they filmed it like you see the back of his head more than you see his face. Mm-hmm. And the worst part is when you actually see his face, his lips aren't moving to what the character is saying. <laughs> they they didn't even dub it with the same lines. No. Or if they did, they didn't dub it well. I mean, it, it, it looks like a bad video game. This is a true example of everything that could possibly go fucking wrong with a main, like, Hollywood, a big movie production went wrong. Well, I'd just like to say that I apologize to uh, Val Kilmer for having made fun of him just now uh, since he he survived about a cancer. Um I will say that I don't feel bad about uh, the many, many Val Kilmer jokes we told no. in the uh, in episode four, which I believe was titled A Kilo of Kilmer. <laughs> if you want to if you want to hear those jokes and feel right. And you want to hear those because that's a fun episode. That's a fun episode. Episode number four. The movie is Turbo Kid, which is which is a delightful uh, French Canadian parody of canon films from that from we're getting a sequel 80s. to that we're getting a sequel to i'm very excited about that but yes. the thing is i th- i bet that had a really short shooting schedule too and that thing was amazing that thing was f- just funny and spot on in every single way and all and some incredible practical effects too and that's but uh, but as seriously wait does the you... snowman does the killer in this thing really wear this stupid snowman mask no, not at all. It's oh, it's not. A, I mean, what he he builds, he he leaves he leaves the um he leaves snowmen to mark his bodies. So so forget forget a quick getaway. Yes, yes, indeed. And he only kills he kills women who are who are unfaithful. He kills women who are unfaithful to their men. So it has some topical reasoning here. Huh? Um, on the first snowfall. You know that's that's sad. He could have taken all that. I mean, I'm not saying he probably doesn't have a reason to feel wronged, but he could well, have, taken, here's the thing, but he here's could have the taken thing, all Scott. that energy and he could have put it into remaking The Last Jedi. Indeed. Oh, nice callback. Here's the thing about that movie, dude. When you finally get the backstory for the character in the movie, yeah. why he does what he does makes absolutely no sense. The backstory they give him is no motivation at all for the crimes that he commits as an adult. Hmm. And even funnier, I found this out doing my research, they changed the character's backstory from the original novel. That's what we call an own goal or shooting yourself in the foot. If your movie's got those kind of problems and you brought them on yourself, I have no sympathy for you. But I mean, it has been, it's, it's genuinely been a long time Going like I said, this is why I brought it up after what you said. Where I just sat there watching a film, going, "How did this? What does that shot makes no? What does this do? How?" And especially from like a studio production starring lots of people, I expect that you know from films like you know the bi- a Bigfoot porno film of which they exist, by the way. Of course they do. Rule thirty four. Exactly. When I heard that there were two editors, and get this, Martin Scorsese's editor was one of the second editors that came on. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter how good your editor is. If, you if don't, it's not there, it's if not they, there. Yeah, if they, if they don't have the footage to put in the movie to make it make sense. I mean, the, the, the sad thing about having a major Hollywood film with recognizable stars and, you know, shot to look like an A-list production and then not shooting plot points is if it was a crappy, cheap-looking little sci-fi film shot on cardboard sets, you could have pulled in Ed Wood and just filled it all in with stock footage. Ah, <sighs> I miss Ed Wood. 
I don't. <laughs> so, before we break, is there anything random you want to throw in, Scott, since we're at our first random point in the new season? We did both see uh, Jurassic World. That's right. I forgot that. So, yes, I wasn't going to, but I finally decided to. I, like I said, the first Jurassic World did nothing for me at all. I honestly haven't liked a Jurassic film since the first one. Uh, I've never liked any of them. Frankly. Okay, I enjoyed the first one. I really did. There are kids I'll, in um, it. Say, oh, understood. There are kids in it. Kids, kids should be... Not seen. They should be eaten and not heard. And that's true. In Jurassic Park, the kids were not eaten. But I did enjoy the first one, like I said. But this one, everyone... I had heard that the movie does things that you don't expect. And so I said, okay, I'll go see it. And I, you movie passed it, isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah, I, saw, I wouldn't have paid to see it. Understood, understood. And I, I, I gotta say, I liked it. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was the greatest film ever, but I gotta say, for a dinosaur movie, I, th- I enjoyed it, especially since, spoilers, they blow up the fucking island 20 minutes into it. Yeah, that was actually a problem I had with it. Really? Yeah, because we get to the island, okay, I'll watch this. This this will be this will be exciting. And then they blow up the island. And the rest of it, the rest of the movie takes place in some guy's house. It's like, okay, I didn't expect the dinosaur movie to take place indoors. But it's sort I mean, the lava was sort of like when you're outside playing with your friends and it begins to rain and your mom comes out and goes, honey, the island's blowing up. Come inside. Oh, mom, it's not that bad. Come on in. And then you have to go in and play. And then you wind up playing Monopoly with your sister. It's boring. So... I thought that was pretty stupid. Okay. And then there was another kid. And then they cast, I mean, I've realized there was no flexibility in the casting, but they cast Chris Pratt, who is a, who is a, a I think, I think a, a, a funny guy with a, a certain amount of range. And instead of using that charm and personality, they would cut to him where it's like, okay, narrow your eyes, look, Tough or confused? What are you feeling? Astigmatic? Myopic? Is that what you're trying to go for? Well, anyway, nice squint. Or they cut to him and he'd look dumb. He'd look just sort of like somebody who's desperately hoping that he doesn't get called on by the math teacher to go work a problem with the board. See, now I completely, completely agree with you on that. Much One of my biggest problems with Jurassic World, besides the fact that it existed, was I, there was, for me, no chemistry at all between Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. Okay, and, and here's I, my other problem with Bryce Dallas Howard. I don't trust her. I don't trust her at all. Look at that woman. Bryce Dallas Howard is way too pretty to be a member of that family. <laughs> you telling me she's related to Clint Howard? You telling me she's like the grandchild of Rance Howard? No. Something's going on. If you want to talk about illegal genetic engineering, forget the dinosaurs. She was cooked up in some fucking lab somewhere. And here's the thing. That the actual and I'm I am going I am going the exact opposite from you on this one, Scott, because I was actually very happy with the fact that most of the film took place in the guy's house. The film felt to me I got a very distinct kind of a gothic horror vibe toward, from certain scenes later in that movie. Like the scene where the girl's being stalked. I mean, especially in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I thought that was a really cool. Wow, they're they. they it felt like they were trying to do something new, and I like the I like the fact that they were going for a slightly more horror vibe. And also, I have been waiting. The big promise and the big disappointment of Jurassic Park Two was, oh, we got twenty minutes of a T Rex on the mainland. And I know we know we're getting a third one and we know there's going to be a shit ton of dinosaurs on the mainland. The third one, this may be the movie that I've been waiting for since the end of the first Jurassic Park. Are they supposed to be breeding now? Are they just did, did they just forget that whole plot point? Like, oh, they, they're I, like I was paying attention to the plot. I was just watching the puppets kill people because I mean, I, I know they, they ran off into the woods at the end and right. free. So I don't I have no clue. But. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't care if the kid got eaten or not. I, I did. All right, I, I'm going to lie. I'm not a monster. I, I did really want her to get eaten. But uh, gothic horror to me requires uh, atmosphere, mood, and suspense. And there was none of that in this film. It was just like, I'm trapped inside on a nice day. Why am I in this theater? Why am I in this house in this theater? The dinosaurs were in the basement. What the hell is that? The dinosaurs are in the... And it wasn't even scary to go down in the basement because they were, for the most part, in cages. It's just that's where they kept them. It's like, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Didn't get what the the villain's goal was. Didn't care. Uh, Very weak villain. Uh, The the, the heroes looked, you know, confused, stupid, and untrustworthy. I just didn't... I agree with you on the the heroes as far as the weak villain goes after 10 years of Marvel movies. I've kind of gotten used to that in films. Fair enough. Just saying. Fair enough. But, I mean, I kind of don't care about human villains in a Jurassic Park movie. Agreed. No, I... I, And And nobody's fighting dinosaurs because they were all... uh, they They were treating the dinosaurs... Like an endangered species, which is, um, one critic pointed out, like, how are they endangered if you can just make more of them? If you can just, like, open up your binder and say, oh, here's this recipe, Martha Stewart, cook up another T-Rex. The, the whole thing is they're trying to, to save the di- Don't save the dinosaurs. Kill the dinosaurs. Fight the dinosaurs. Why do I want to see, why do I care about this guy, this hedge fund dude's auction? I don't. I don't care about. I don't care about <laughs> See, his cash flow problem. I, 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 um, to I, I in that in this respect, I do respectfully disagree with you on that one. I kind of got, I kind of got into that story. Did you? Only because, only because, and I admit it, this is just the way I am because it, that particular story I thought was so different. The back half of that movie was so different than any of the previous Jurassic Park films. I liked the fact that they went. Whether it worked or not is up for debate. Obviously, it didn't work for you, but I appreciate the fact that they attempted to do something different with the series. All right. I will just say this, and then I I will be done with it. The guys who want to remake The Last Jedi, if somebody did give them some insane millionaire, someone, some, some sort of Alzheimer's-afflicted billionaire, gave them $200 million, and they remade The Last Jedi, uh, it would be different. Would it be better? Probably not. Different is definitely an, uh, something to aspire to, especially when you're making a sequel, unless it's not better. I don't think being in the house is better than running around the jungle chased by a dinosaur. I just don't. Fair point. Okay. And on that note, we'll be right back. 
It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. Ready for battle. And no, we did not change the UMC theme. I still like that. Welcome back. So do I, for the record. It's one of my favorite things. It's it's an earworm right up there with uh, Kung Fu fighting. <laughs> Today's UMC. We're is, going old school, folks. That's right. Yes. No more of this new stuff. I know we've been leaning into the summer movies, but now we're going back to our roots. Blanche, with, John and Mrs. C have been killed and eaten. Okay, well, I was going to kind of take a lighthearted tone toward this whole thing, but... (laughs) No, we're kidding. Of course, the new movie crew is still around. But since this is a season premiere, we wanted just to go back to old school. We had a little shock value. A fake cliffhanger. (laughs) But there are dead folks ahead for all of you. So strap in, because this time we're taking a look at Playgirls and the Vampire. A black and white Italian horror film from 1960. Now, I'm going to admit that I have just this morning finished watching this. Oh, my God. Are you telling me that I watched a film for once before you? For once you did. Yes. So we are tossing things up this season. No. And unlike my usual method, I have not had time to digest the film's themes or to ruminate on its place in the horror genre writ large, or its usefulness as a milepost in charting the development of post-war Italian cinema. However, there's nipples, so let's get on with it. I was hoping you'd notice the nipples. Oh, please, notice the nipples. Yeah. No, no, they were very subtle. Very subtle with the nipples. You really had to be looking in the general direction of the screen. Now, to be fair, this was another one of mine. This is another one of my cruising around YouTube and seeing a title and going, oh, dear God, we have to watch this. And I'm actually glad we did. I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. So, I actually, as, as much as I'm going to rag on it, I had fun with it, too. Oh, I'm going to rag on it. But I, I just want to say up front that I did have fun. So the film opens in a basement, which is uh, stocked with those cement three-quarter scale reproductions of Italian statuary. So apparently it's the basement of the Sears home and garden shop. Um, (laughs) I was going to say Mario Baba's summer home. (laughs) And along with the Renaissance lawn jockeys, um, (laughs) the basement also contains the opening credits, which is very convenient. Oh, and and there's also a cameo by Thing from the Addams Family. But this is... This is just sort of like the, um, this is the, even though we don't see him, this is the introduction to the vampire that we don't see again for, what, another hour or so? Yeah, something like that. They're, they're really in no, no hot-footed rush to uh, bring the monster in. Um, but there are other things to, to uh, maintain our attention up to then. Nipples. 
That um, is very true. And um, quote unquote dancing. Oh, we'll get to the quote unquote dancing, my friend. Oh, we'll. <laughs> that wait. was the, when when that scene came on. I, I I immediately thought of you when I'm watching the movie and that scene came out. Like, oh, Scott is going to have a field day with this. Oh. So anyway, the basement it turned out that was just, we just we were just down there uh, to get the credits uh, because the movie really starts uh, with a bus driving down a dirt road uh, in the middle of the night, pursued by the sound effects of a thunderstorm. And inside the bus is a troop of destitute strippers fleeing their unpaid hotel bills. Also inside is their sexually ambiguous bus driver and accompanist, Frank. Thank you for saying ambiguous. I was wondering about that, too. Yeah, because the, the girls keep flashing their legs and their decolletage in Frank's direction and then basically saying, you know, my legs are so good, even Frank looks at them. And Frank just never dignifies it with a response. So um, they don't come right out and say he's gay. And, and he's, not, he's, not being, he's not doing a stereotypically, as they called it back then, pansy character. So he's, it's not being played for comic effect. He's just... He's sexually ambiguous. Yeah. And 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 also, in addition to Frank, there is the, um, I guess you would call him, boss choreographer, Vic Tabak. Right. Uh, the inevitably sleazy manager character. And uh, in that shot, the opening shot of the bus, one of the strippers named Magda runs her hands slowly up her stockinged leg to the top of her thigh where she fiddles with her garter belt for the benefit of the camera. And this is an important plot point. Yes, very much so. This is something that comes up repeatedly throughout the film. This is a theme. This is the director's go-to whenever the the actual plot is sagging. And I got to say, the man knows his business. (laughs) Kept me watching. Anyway, they take a detour to the local medieval castle, like you do. Because they're told, of course, not to take the detour to the exactly, castle. Exactly, exactly. And, and like everybody else, they say, you know, you're not the boss of me. I'm going to go to the medieval castle. And, and there's a moment, this is my first just moment of sheer unadulterated delight in the film. Let's, let's see if it's the same moment, too, because I had a moment in this sequence as well. All right. Frank says, there's a bridge up ahead. And Lucas says, you think it's strong enough to hold the bus? And Frank says... I don't know. I guess we'll find out afterwards. And then we never see them go over a bridge. <laughs> now, my thought was it was that, okay, maybe in the Italian version, they're not even talking about a bridge. Maybe they're talking about something Americans can't relate to, like like uh, the World Cup or something. And they're each arguing that, no, you know, my team contains the most pussies who'll fall down and fake a shin injury. And uh, the English dubbers just went, ah, fuck it. Let's have them hallucinate a bridge. I don't know how to translate this. <laughs> I figured the whole thing was about biscotti, but no, that was not my scene. Uh, maybe it's the next scene. They, they, they get to the castle gate. It's locked. Big surprise. And they can't get in. But one of the strippers, Vera, who's going to be our, I would say she's our heroine. I would say, in fact, I would say she's our lead character. Yeah, um, yeah. Vera has a psychic epiphany and reaches out and grabs part of the wrought iron and finds the secret switch that swings the gate open. And uh, rather than just being delighted or grateful, they all get a little freaked out. 
They'll get a little shirty with her about that. I didn't even know that she had that found a secret switch. I swear to God, Scott, I thought they were just standing there going, oh, wow, it's locked. Like, they didn't even try it, and she just tried it, and it was open. I honestly thought she just opened the gate. Yeah, no, it's really, I, 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 I want to say either it's subtle or really poorly shot. But it's not obvious, and I actually had to, I had to rewind it just to make sure. I go, wait, did she? Oh, yeah, there's a thing. Okay, so. uh, th- th- thank you, thank you, OC film fan, because you, that that, ex- that actually explains something to me. So then, okay, that wasn't as funny as I thought it was. Oh well. <laughs> um. So they run into the uh, caretaker, the groundskeeper, whatever he is, who's not allowed inside the castle, and then they run into Frau uh, Blucher. Frau Blucher. Uh, Mrs. Dansvers from Rebecca, and is that who that is? No, it's not. But I mean, okay, it's, I was going to say, she, don't mess with my head, Scott. She's suppo- she's, she's doing a very uh, Judith uh, Anderson. Is that her name, Judith Anderson? Uh, ver- she's she's doing a very Mrs. Danvers take on the character with her the way her hair is. I thought she looked. I, I thought she looked familiar. I think she looked familiar. I think I've seen her in some other old Italian film, but I'm not sure what. Or maybe I was just thinking about Mrs. Danvers. Who knows? Actually, a number of these people, uh, Frank, I know I've seen in other Italian mm-hmm. films of the era. So um, I'm pretty sure I've seen Vic Tabak too. Oh yeah, no, he's he's definitely been in a ton of other stuff. Usually playing the obnoxious comic relief. Um, so. Uh, Mrs. Danvers lets them inside after getting really passive-aggressive about it. And while they're waiting for the Count to show up, Vera blows everyone's mind again by demonstrating that she knows where the cigarettes are. It's like Vera's another person suddenly, and we've never really known her before. I'm starting to wonder if anyone in my life, if I really know anyone the way I think my do, I do, my, my wife, my co-host... Is my whole life a lie? I'm really a woman. I'm really a woman. Ah, I win five bucks. Awesome. <laughs> Who was the bet with? <laughs> Not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the the count shows up. The the count, uh, his, whose name is, um, oh God, I can't remember. His first name is is Gabor. That's as right, in, Gabor. As in uh, Jaja and Ava. And uh, okay, yes, he, he has some European last name. Anyway, he shows up and and is is rather un, unhospitable. He says, basically, no way am I putting up with you cheap floozies and your crappy comic relief. Uh, leave and never darken my towels again until he sees Vera. Then he's slapped in the face by a music cue and he stumbles back several feet into the shadows and and he suddenly relents on the condition that they don't come out of the rooms before daybreak no matter what suspicious sound effects they may hear so guess what happens before daybreak well what happens the first thing that happens is is we cut to the guest rooms where all the our our crew is gathered and the girls are putting on a victoria's secret lingerie show while uh, lucas shaves and frank reacts to everything with quiet sexual ambiguity <laughs> But but then but then they do go off to sleep and uh, Vera puts her visible nipples to bed uh, while the count peeps on her and Vera gets up and wanders around because her nipples are restless and she runs into the count outside who says he only let let them stay because of her and that she must leave at dawn first thing in the morning. Don't hesitate for an instant because there is no continental breakfast and we get a sense like. Oh, he's drawn to her, but he's worried about her safety, and 
it's going to be the old it's it's like uh, right away my guess at this point and and you tell me when you thought this i'm sure you did that it's going to be the plot of the 31 uh, karloff mummy so like oh she's like a reincarnation of the vampire's lost love oh i thought that almost immediately right okay I, I, as soon as as soon as she honestly, as soon as she opened the gate, yeah, that was. I'm that. sitting there going, okay, but then yeah, once the cigarette thing happened, I'm like, okay, she's been here before, blah blah blah. All right, and oh my god, the actual excuse, if you think about it, is even sicker. The actual, the the the, the truth behind this is kind of even grosser. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you think about it, that's true. That's it's really, I, I, it's kind of gross. Yeah, let's let's get to that toward the end. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so, let's let's definitely bring that up because it's you're right, it's gross. Um, it's gross. So Vera and her nipples are running around, right? But she goes back to her room, and uh, uh, one of and the let strip- us not forget. Let us not forget that even though he says you must leave tomorrow, no matter what, um, you can see that she is already falling in love with him, and he is already falling in love with her, even though they've had all of five minutes together. If that. If that, if that. So we're talking, this, this, is, this is literally love at first glance. Yes, it is. Love at first music sting. <laughs> so uh, one of the strippers named Katya uh, comes into Vera's room and borrows her coat so she can go take a shower. Uh, yes. And Katya walks around uh, touching everything in the hall, the portraits, the... The escutcheons, everything like she's an old lady. You know what I was thinking in this scene? I was thinking the infamous, um, before the blowjobs, when uh, Divine trashes at Marble's house and Pink Flamingos. Yes, I'm sure that's what they were going for. Oh, I'm quite sure. Granted, there was no tongue, but it was just the way she was fondling everything. Yes, yes. My mind went there. Exactly. At fondling everything. So so she, uh, but then. Except herself. Well, Which I thought was a complete waste of film right there. Exactly. Exactly. And this is coming from, and this is coming from the gay man. If you're, I mean, if you're, if you've got, if you've got a film with hot chicks, and she's fondling everything in the house. You should have at least given herself a quick feel. Because, you, gay or not, you you still believe that a film should deliver what it promises. Exactly. And this has been promising some some self diddling. But anyway, no, she she fingers a suit of armor instead. Instead of herself. Instead of herself, and then she hears a cat, and she. Start goes up some creaky stairs, and then she sees something, some alarming shit off screen. Um, then she runs around in a tizzy until she winds up in a room full of what appears to be dusty, broken old props that didn't quite make it into the movie. And then Thing for the Adams Family makes another cameo. Uh, she screams as the camera dollies in toward her, and then she thrusts both hands into the lens toward us as if to say, say, Thing, what about a threesome? So cut to the next day and uh Frank finds Katya's body outside the castle. She's she's lying at the the foot of the wall, she's dead, and a visibly upset Vera rushes uh to her dead friend, you know, to get her coat back so she can take a yeah. shower. But no, they need to cover the corpse. Um then the count shows up to say, "Told you so." So, okay, it's broad daylight, so he's either not the titular vampire or he's one of those really super annoying daywalkers from Blade. I don't know. In either See, case. I have to admit, I have to admit, when he showed up in the day, I was a little bit, okay, yeah. this is not what I was expecting. It was not, the, yeah, I thought, oh, we're, good, we're in for that old plot. And now, oh, they threw us a slight curve. So the caretaker wants to, um, whose name we find out way late in the film for no reason, is, is his name is Zoltan, which 
is amuses me solely because that's that's the name of the fortune telling machine that makes Tom Hanks into a twelve year old in, or into an adult in Big. And isn't it also the Hound of Hell? Uh, could be. I believe the film was Zoltan the Hound of Hell. Could be. Well, now I'm gonna have to look that up afterwards. Um, <laughs> so so the caretaker Zoltan wants to bury the girl because, and I quote, "The dead should have peace." But uh, Mrs. Danvers tells him to shut his cannoli hole and go away. So the Count tells the girls that the thunderstorm sound effects have washed out the invisible bridge. So they all have to stay on at Castle Stripper Killer for a little bit longer. And they bury Katya in a shallow grave. Then they go back to the castle where uh, blonde and busty Erica expresses her grief through the art of the striptease. Oh, but there is so yeah. much more in, in, in her, the art of striptease. Yes, in her favor, I will say, that uh, Erica's bra and panty set, in keeping with the solemnity of the occasion, is black. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so our so Lucas, the manager is, is uh, and choreographer, apparently, is uh, giving the girls the old what-ho and telling them, you know, come on, let's, let's rehearse that number. And, so, you know, suddenly it's 42nd Street. And if girls, 42nd get... Street was being done by if it was if the chorus was full of heroin junkies. Yes, because they're all they're all dancing to what appears to be a different song. I don't know what they're hearing. Even though in their Frank head. is playing the piano, he's playing one song and whatever they're dancing to, they're all dancing to their own songs. And neither none of the songs that those four are dancing to are what he's playing. Exactly. And they're all, like they're all like sort of doing these sway movements, but they're all moving in different directions. directions. One, one, of them, one of them wanders off toward the back. It's like, honey, we're shooting still. And it's like, wow, that's that's not it's not exactly the Rockettes. Meanwhile, Lucas is doing his best Jamie Farr imitation mm. and just trying to get them to do moves. Yeah, he was not endearing himself to me in this scene, I'll just say. That. Well, there wasn't a single one where he did. Uh, there, there was one scene where he was shaving, and I, and I, was, I was really pulling for you know uh, a, a, a severe uh, cut on his neck that would attract a vampire. Uh, yeah, it would have been nice. This, this, is, this is a, a heteronormative vampire movie where the vampire will only bite members of the opposite sex. When he does get in a hassle with a man later in the film, it's all, they're just, they're just trading punches. So Vera is, is different than the others. She's a, she's an orphan. She's, she's kind of a little, she's a little melancholy. She's a little more thoughtful. And, and so even the stripping doesn't make her feel better about her dead friend. So she wanders around and, and in, in another moment of, of pure unalloyed delight, she finds a, uh, a portrait in the hallway, which appears to be a paint-by-numbers Modigliani <laughs> of a Walter Keene child that everyone in the movie pretends looks just like her. What an amazing resemblance to uh, a first grader's finger painting. So the Count says the Modigliani was his ancestor, Margarita, who died in the 1700s. And uh, then he and Vera have kind of a vague conversation about uh, reincarnation. And uh, he wants her to leave, but he wants her to stay. But Vera feels like, no, I was always destined to love uh, this weirdo. So then they start making out in the hall. Just to be perfectly clear here, he wants to boff one of his ancestors. Oh, in the worst way. He wants, okay, I'm just going to say it. He wants to fuck one of his dead ancestors. 
Granted, yes, she's one, alive, but still. Yes, one of his great, 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 great grandmothers. So uh, this is this weird incest necrophilia thing, and it really took me a couple of seconds. Like after he made the announcement, once they start, once they officially start the 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 the, the pre boning, I'm just sitting there going, "Now wait a minute, okay? It's not a reincarnation of his love; it's a reincarnation of, uh, like you said, like his great aunt or something like that." So we, we hope um, it's that far removed. From the yeah. Border. So I'm like, okay, so this is border, so this is bordering on the '70s porn territory here. Ew. Yes, this kind of did anticipate the taboo series. Yeah, a little bit. Um, So the count, the count stops the uh, stops the making out and says, you know, wait, we shouldn't be exchanging saliva here in the hallway because there's a curse. I forgot to mention. And then he just totally kind of ghosts her and disappears. So Vera goes back to her room and lays on the bed in her lounging corset and black stiletto heels. Uh, but for some reason, she just can't get comfortable. So she puts on a black leather trench coat that I assume the Gestapo left behind after the war. And she walks out into the night to visit Ka- to visit Katya's grave. But it's empty. Bum, bum, bum. And literally, literally, the soundtrack reacts to this by going, bum, bum, bum. Yep. So, oh, and then at the, at the grave, the empty grave, she sees the count, but he does that Homer Simpson thing where he backs slowly into the bushes and disappears. So uh, this film, in addition to anticipating the taboo series of 70s porn films, also anticipated that one meme. I should make a gif of that, actually. Um, For once, the Simpsons didn't already do it. Exactly. So the next morning, Vera wants to speak to the count, and uh, she wanders around until she stumbles into a creepy laboratory where she finds Katya's body on a slab, and uh, the the Count admits, he, he freely comes out and he admits digging up Katya to do some C- CSI forensic shit to her. He wants, to, he wants to scientifically prove that Katya was killed by a vampire because she was wearing Vera's coat. For some reason, Vera completely buys this, and despite the proximity of her friend's naked corpse, she starts making out with the Count again. And let us not also forget that some of the dialogue in this sequence is all about, you must trust me implicitly and do whatever I said. You must not speak of this to anybody. I know I shouldn't, but I trust you implicitly, blah, 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 blah. I mean, one of the things I noticed about, and granted, this probably is part of the dubbing, but um, the people in this film have a habit of saying the exact same thing three or four times. Yes, they do. Uh, and that could, that could be, you may be right, that could be just laziness on the part of the, the guys who got a literal translation of the script. And really just didn't want to work that hard for the American release that was just going to go into grindhouses and because and my God, I mean, I can't remember what the sentence is because of course I don't do research, but I swear to God, there's one scene in this particular scene we're talking about right now. The count in the same sentence in one sentence says the exact same thought twice. Oh yeah. And in fact, it, I, and I wondered if this was just like an in joke for the, for the dubbers or what, but at one point, one of the strippers actually says, Oh, we're not talking about death or danger or vampires again, are we? This is getting repetitious. Well, yes. Right. Yes, it is. So kudos for that, honey. Yeah, actually, and you know what that reminded me of? Okay, we're, we're going to, since, we, since we've already um, cross-referenced porn and The Simpsons, the, the, the doubleness of the dialogue immediately made me think of Manos. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even though, yeah. 
Even yeah. though they didn't, even though technically they didn't repeat the exact same line like they do in Manos, it was just close enough. Like I, I, I there was one line that the Count said double that I could just hear in Torgo's voice. Ah, I can see that. I, you, you know, it, that's true, and that's one of the reasons that this movie, which is I think 120 minutes. Under uh, 90. When was, was the it, last uh, time we did a film that was under 90 minutes, Scott? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Hour 23. Um, it feels a little bit longer than that because so many scenes spin their wheels in the mud, just can't quite get traction. And because of that, there are certain scenes where, I mean, obviously they're, they're stretching out the plot, but it's like we'll have a scene and s- some stuff will be said and it doesn't really move anything forward. I mean, a little, a little bit of it. Some of the scenes are, um, are there to advance the love story. Okay, because let, let's be perfectly honest here. We know why this film was made. It, nipples. Yes. Yes. No, I, yeah. Nipple, nipples, nipples and legs. Nipples and legs. We're going to get us some nipples and legs. <laughs> that, is, that is entirely what this film The whole vampire thing is completely inconsequential. It was oh, just yeah. something that they threw in so they could just uh, have something to do when they weren't showing the nipples and the legs. This is completely true. But anyway, all right. Well, I think we move, let, let's move on because uh, I feel like it, it was so repetitious in some places that we could easily get bogged down in talking and repeatedly talking about how repetitious it was. It was so repetitious. We could how easily get bogged well, yeah. in talking about how repetitious it was. You are right. <laughs> Can you believe how repetitious that film was? It was it was very, you know, I the repetition. They just kept saying the same thing over and over again in only slightly different ways. The, re- the repetition was repetitive. <laughs> hey, okay. at least I'm trying to do things differently now, Scott. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh, so Lucas, uh, the manager, is playing the piano now, and the girls are getting just pie-eyed, sloshed. And uh, Frank comes in and says that he's been wandering the countryside picking up uh, bits of uh, folklore and exposition. Um, he thinks that uh, Katya didn't die in an accident. They all, they all decided she, she just fell out a window for some reason. Um, he thinks there's a murderer in the castle, and he swears to get to the bottom of this mystery. And I Oh, good. You remember the exact quote. Good oh, job, yeah, Scott. I, because <clears throat> it, it was right at that moment that I realized something. I, I'd have had a lot more confidence in his vow if the actor doing his voice wasn't also the same guy who provided the dubbed voice for Neil Connery in Operation Double Double O Seven. What? Yeah, Frank's voice was was Neil Connery in that MST episode. So I'm gonna have to. Oh, I have to double. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. So that that was hard to really take anything he took too seriously. Understood. Not to mention the fact that we basically never see him again. This is true. This is true. I'm going to go solve this mystery, and he disappears. Yeah, apparently. Until uh, the end. Right. He's like, okay, did you run off to go consult Jessica Fletcher? What? No, he went off to fix the bus, because the next time we see him again, he's driving the bus. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, Well, now the the movie, I got to say, after kind of spinning its wheels a little bit, shifts into high, because a naked, undead Katya appears in Lucas's room in the middle of the night. So uh, let me just play Mr. Skin for a moment and tell you that the first upper ventral nudity appears at roughly the 55-minute mark. And the whole time I'm sitting there, because they, 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 they 
quote unquote film this so nicely because she's all in black. And, you know, I saw her legs and I'm like, OK, is she nude? And then when they when you see her, you know, of course, her breasts are covered in blackness. And I'm like, OK, she's nude. How are, let's see. Are, this is early 60s. This is Italian. Come on. We got to get some. And then I give them points the way they did. it. She moves out of in, out of the darkness just enough that you see nipples for one scene. And it is glorious. Yes. Yes. She 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 has some some nice breasts. I can see why she was chosen for this role and her breasts make the most of it. So kudos to them. Kudos to her. It's uh, it's kind of ruined a little bit by the next scene because. She smiles and flashes the most hilariously fake set of Halloween fangs. I mean, obviously plastic, obviously made for a little kid because they don't even fit entirely into her mouth. I mean, you can actually see her, her real teeth behind them. Yep. Um, but uh, Lucas screams and then everyone comes running. Oh, wait, find- wait. No, not only does he scream, but he faints like a bitch. Yes, he does. Let's he does. be honest. He screams and he faints. And then and then. Apparently, vampires, if, if vampires are like a lot of predators. If you roll over and play dead like a possum, they'll leave you alone. I be, Yeah, because they all come in. I was, I was supremely hoping that Lucas oh, would, yeah. was going to be dead. I was like, please, yes, I will love this movie if he is dead now. Yes, but for, no, first, he just passed out. First, this lovely woman with her upper ventral nudity and now killing uh, Lucas. Okay, this movie is giving me what I, I have no complaints. But no, he's fine. He's fine. So the girls all troop back to their rooms and we get a parade of filmy negligees, which is fine. I'm not complaining about this part. Mrs. Danvers stops Vera to tell her that the river waters have receded and they've uh, built another invisible bridge. So uh, she and the girls can go in the morning. And this in another moment of terrific acting that that I I. Uh, my, I give my highest compliments to the actress and to the director and to the cinematographer. This news makes Vera like lean against the inside of her door and bite her thumb and caress her bosom while her visible nipples press against the nylon mesh of her nightgown like kids pressing their faces against the display case at Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, yeah, Vera gets some really weird acting choices over the course of this film. She she does, but um, she is she's carrying a lot of weight. She's carrying the, the weight of the plot. She's and her breasts. The, her breasts, she's carrying them. And she's also, the director is fetishizing her in a very specific kind of gothic way. Yeah. It's, she's, she's, she wanders through long halls. She's in and out of shadows. She's wearing these filmy negligees. I mean, she's, I think she's a good camera subject. She, she does, there's something about her that's innately sympathetic. Um, At least until it, that ended for me a little bit later, but we'll get to that. Okay. The so, sim- yeah, the sympathy ended in, in much in, in a bit. <laughs> okay. So earlier, the Count told her uh, that if anyone, because, because he was not, the Count was not at Katia's empty grave. When she, when she saw him back into the bushes, he says, that wasn't me. I wasn't there. So if anyone, even me, tries to get into your room, do not let them in. Don't um, let me in. Not even me. Not even, yeah, exactly. And then someone does try to open her door. You see the handle turning. And she does not answer. Uh, instead, she puts on her Nazi fetish gear and goes out to greet them. But but there's nobody in the hallway except Katya, who's lurking around corners playing some kind of nude hide-and-seek. I, I don't exactly know what was going on with that. But Vera wanders and wanders and wanders, and then she trips another uh, secret control hatch switch something. 
on, on a uh, coat of arms and it, it opens up a she secret fond- door. She fondles, she erotically fondles an axe handle. That's right. That's what it was. She was stroking an axe handle and then yep. it opened up a secret door. So she winds up down in the basement where the movie started and she finds the, the sarcophagus of great, 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 great grandma Marguerite, the one from the painting. Um, and she also finds uh, her husband's uh, tomb right next to it. Uh, her husband is also named Gabor. And and this is so shocking that it causes her trench coat to, to half fall off and her nipples to poke out. Uh, which is, you know, I think it was a nice, refreshing change from the whole, you know, back of the hand to the forehead kind of thing. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, it wasn't, it, you, did, you, didn't, you didn't get this gesture to death in silent movies. So I give him credit for that. Um, anyway, so the, the, the fake count, the crypto count, shows up. And uh, he throws her down on Marguerite's sepulcher, and he, he, he flashes another set of, or probably the same set, actually, I'm sure they shared it, of knobbly teeth. And then he buries himself in Vera's neck. And I mean, actually, I, mean, I, think, I think that they did share it because when, they, when the two of them are together, if you think about this, one of them has the teeth and one of them doesn't. Oh, you're right. You're right. I bet it was I the, think they only had one set of teeth in that film. It was not. It was not a big budget enterprise. Let's let's be honest. It was. This was. This was not an epic by any means. But but the thing about it is, there's no question that this one's a, this guy's a vampire. Because when I say he buries himself in Vera's neck, I mean he really, really gets in there deep. He's he's rooting around in her carotid artery like a pig sniffing out truffles. Yeah. But here's the thing. It was all a dream. Bum bum bum. No, it doesn't even deserve that. So Bum. she, there you go. She wakes up in bed, and, and Mrs. Danvers is sponging her. Uh, apparently, she had a high fever, and no, oh, you've been delirious for a day, and oh, what a relief! Except there's two puncture marks in her neck. You can do the bump, bump, bump now. Bump, bump, bump. Thank you. Okay, sure. So she throws her clothes into a suitcase, and she tries to flee, but the count keeps teleporting around the castle and flashing. The one set of fangs that they bought. And here's the moment. This is the moment where I totally lost it for me because her version of panic Mm -hmm. looks to me like irritable bowel syndrome. It really looked to me like she was suffering, like she just really had to take a bad shit. She was kind of crouching weirdly. She looked constipated. Yeah. 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 All right. Up until up until this point, you know, as, as cheesy and as dubbed as this film is, up until this point, I actually believed the character in so much as you can in this type of film. But when she started running, just the look on her face and the way she was flinging her hands around, I mean, she really turned into a, I hate saying that, okay, a stereotypical movie horror film female, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. In the worst way. And I mean, granted, this is from the 60s when it this when the stereotype was born. But still, looking back on it, you know, from today's modern viewpoint, it just got it just really irritated me. It just t- that took me out of her performance. Okay, that's a fair. Point. That was a, that was a one time I thought where she really became a quote unquote woman. And please don't send me evil messages. You know what I mean by that? Became a a uh, a low budget horror movie woman. Which yes, a, thank you. A, thank you for the clarification. Different breed of woman. Um, we do find out in the scene uh, when she she finally is stopped in a doorway by the by the teleporting count, and we find out. Except it's not the count because the real count shows up to save her. Except he instantly gets knocked out, which which I liked because, you know, oh great, so our hero is an enormous puss. 
Yes. So, uh, so Crypto Count picks up Vera and runs off to go play with her and the rest of his action figures in the basement. But, um, but, but Nudie Girl, but Nudie Girl is angry. Katya will not have it. Katya wants to be his only one true love, even though we all know that um, this chick is that, that Vera. Uh, that's why that's why I call him Vic Tayback because Vera <laughs> is um, very much, you know, the, the, the quote unquote reincarnation of his wife and our other count's ancestor. God, you need a scorecard for who's who in this film. I know. I know. So, you know what? The girls all look similar enough. Um, I mean, Vera's Vera's her own thing. She's she's pretty distinctive. But all the other strippers look similar enough that I'm not even sure I would have known it was Katya unless except that she's still nude. So yeah, that, that's that, yeah. And, and at this point, that's not exploitation. That's just a helpful storytelling device. Yes. To let us tell who's who. So yeah, that's a valid point. <laughs> yeah. So so she's she puts up a hand and says, hang on, playa. Aren't I enough for you? And she's going, you know, she's not going to she's not your wife. Your wife's dead. She really kind of digs in with it. She goes, your wife's dead, man. I, I should just let just let me love you. Um, oh, you won't let me love you. OK, well, I'm going to kill her. And then you realize I'm still a pretty good deal. And the vampire count says, no, you're not going to do that. And then it's vampire versus new girl throwdown. Uh, and again, it's almost immediately over when uh, crypto count Gabor stakes her right between the breasts with a flaming torch. And the camera pans down to her legs. And then we see much more blood than I was expecting. Considering she's been dead for a while. And not to mention, this is an early, you know, black and white, early 60s horror film in general. I was very surprised by the amount of blood coming down from between her legs, which, of course, led to the inevitable period joke. Okay. Uh, Now I'm so now I'm glad we weren't watching this together. So. (laughs) So anyway, so, yeah, so uh, uh, torch between the breasts, kind of different. Don't see that all the time. Um, and we didn't actually see it, though, because no, the camera, no. you, you, it's only implied because yeah. by that point, the camera's already down to her calves. Because we had one sh- one very brief shot of breasts, and then it's just nipples have to carry the plot from then on. So the real count shows up, the current count, uh, and says to the crypto count, hey, I just found the cure to vampirism. What are the odds? Uh, so you don't have to suck Vera's life out through her neck and make her immortal. Uh, but the crypto count... It's, it turns out, you know, over the centuries, he's come to enjoy vampirism as a lifestyle. And so, again, it's a throwdown and they get into one of those obvious stunt double versus obvious stunt double punch offs like they used to have in the Star Trek, the original series. Oh, yeah. Uh, except in this universe, uh, this is kind of a Stephanie Meyer update of, of the vampire mythos, because in this one, they don't have any special powers and they don't. Uh, seem to be any stronger than an ordinary human, and are, nor do they know how to fight. No, they nor do they know how to fight. Uh, he has not apparently picked up any uh, tips on self defense in the past two hundred years. So uh, it goes on for a bit, and then the sun decides the movie should be over. Uh, so it shines through the basement window, and and cook, here's another thing. Cooks. Okay, and, and here's another thing. Okay, um, note to vampire. Note to vampire, or I should say future film directors, if you're going to make a vampire film. If you are going to use sunlight, and especially if you're going to use sunlight coming in through a window, make sure that the raft of, that, that the ray of sunlight is, that's coming through is large enough so it doesn't look like all that the vampire has to do is take two steps to the side to get out of it. Yeah, exactly. And 
another thing that bothered me about that is is so the way he's screaming and holding up his hand. So you know, oh, so yeah, so he is he the he, the the cooked crypto count is being cooked to a crisp. And I wondered because very really, nice alliteration there, by the way. Thank you. I was happy with that. But I was be. I was thinking, you know, we really haven't seen much in the way of makeup effects or special effects, period. So I'm wondering, are they really going to do uh, are they going to do burn effects? And they don't. Uh, he he rather than having a, even though the sun is killing him, uh, he stumbles backward out of the uh, out of the sun patch and it's like, OK, well, he's fine. But he stumbles backward and impales himself on uh, one of the axe handles that are sticking out everywhere from every wall in this place. And then there's a weird there's a series where of, of lap dissolves where he gets progressively older and then inexplicably toward the end when he's turning into a skeleton there's he's he's afflicted with that wavy uh the outer limits effect yep and then he just sort of disappears now point now um point this did not happen with katya katya just bleeds and falls over right and we never see her again it's like it it's uh when the count the count has won the fight essentially although although he had to you know he had to to tag the sun in he doesn't even seem to look at katya He's 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 visibly grossed out by what happened to his ancestor and he, he needs to take a moment. But then he just goes and, you know, picks up Vera, pulls her out of the tomb. Um, yeah, we, we don't know what happened to Katya. We can assume that she. Well, actually, no, because the count was 200 years old. Katya was just killed. She probably hadn't didn't decay into dust. She probably just went back to to being deco- decomposing in a normal rate. Um, OK, fine. Right. So the rest of the film is really just sort of a wrap up where Mrs. Danvers says, oh, well, we all knew about the vampire in the basement. And uh, that's why Zoltan was never allowed inside, because the Count knew that he would kill the vampire if he could. That seems like a good solution to me. But, you know, it would have happened before the movie started. So I guess there wouldn't have been any uh, stripping. And she says, no, the Count, you know, was really... He was really caught up in his his research and he was he was sure he could cure the vampires and he couldn't bring himself to to stake his great great grandpa. So Even though he wanted to bone his great great grandma. Yeah. So he had scruples, but they were kind of elastic. And then she goes into the uh, study where he's kind of beating himself up for some reason. I don't know why. And they don't she kind of like squeezes his arm and. He says, oh, Vera, and he kisses her hand. And, oh, okay, so great. So they ended up together. And then the next scene, she's walking out with her suitcase. All the girls are in the bus. Zoltan shows up and gives her some flowers. And she gets on the bus and she just stares back at the count. And I'm going, okay, they didn't get together? What is this? Is this some sort of aristocratic thing where, you know, she's a she's a penniless orphan girl. She's a peasant. He can't possibly marry her. But then there's a voiceover of the count saying, uh, I have to... You know, I have to clean up a few things here in the castle. Yeah, like all the bodies, for one. There's that. And uh, and then I'm going to sell the place. Wait for me. I will find you. Yeah. And then they, the bus drives off. And I'm thinking, okay, did that actually happen in the Italian version? Or was that just dubbed in for the American audience? Because it seems like it should have a happy ending. They should wind up together. But she is smiling toward I the was end gonna, of it. Let's not forget, she has that really stupid little smile on her face. So... She does. Well, she was really irritating you by the end of the film, wasn't she? That that, that little that that her that look on her face as she was running away, her panic just ruined it for me. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, she does have kind of a goofy smile on her face, and then they drive off. So I guess, yeah. He's and Frank quick. may have been in the bus. We don't know. We, we don't, don't know. actually see him. So Frank may have just stayed in the village. He might have. He might have just he gotten might, He might have. Fa- he might have found a nice peasant guy and just decided to you know, set up shop there. We don't know. Exactly. I, I hope so. I like Frank. Fr- Frank deserves some happiness. He does. Okay, so shall we go on a fascinating, irritating? I think so. All right, I will go first on this one since I uh, since I, this 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 was my movie. <laughs> uh, the fa- fascinating for me. I think the best way to describe it was I, I give the filmmakers credit for doing as much as they could to make the film like gothic. You know, the castle is very gothic looking. There are, you know, I mean, Mrs. Danvers being Mrs. Danvers. There are many tropes of gothic literature. The whole, you know, you can't go after night no matter what you hear. There's all, when the whole film is basically just an excuse to show nipples and legs. And the fact that they were able to, not convincingly, but they tried to convincingly create a gothic mood around the soft cornice. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went all in on it. And in that respect, I was like, all right, all right, for for, for pre-XXX porn parodies, you know, I mean, this is doing a good job of that same kind of thing. And the castle was appropriately gothic. And I do also have to say, I, I was kind of fascinated by what's his name? Which one? Not uh, not not the table, uh, our 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 ambiguously gay guy. Oh, Frank. Frank, I was actually kind of fascinated by Frank because I wanted to know what the hell his deal was. So did I. He seemed I like... I really did. There was a story there that we didn't get. I think so, too, because he seemed like he was going to take charge. You know, he was yes. Out, and, and all right, I'm going to... I, I he's, Like you said, he swears he's going to uh, get to the bottom of it and then disappears. So... I'm wondering if that was cut for, for American audience. Like, I was actually looking for the original version of this and I wasn't able to find it. Right. I don't know how long the Italian... Uh, the European cut was. I assume it was longer. It was reduced in a uh, reduced. It was released in a, uh, a a sanitized version for American television under the title, I think, Curse of the Vampire, uh, which, of course, cut out all the nipples and such. But uh, I, I wonder because it seemed like Frank was going to go someplace, but he didn't. Well, he did go someplace. He just never came yeah, back. And we, and we never saw him again. But, you know, that's, but, a, good, I mean, that's a good point about the, the castle, because one thing that really struck me was the sets were pretty good. I mean, as, they were. as cheap as the movie was as far as effects, the, the settings were very convincing. And it made me wonder if they shot this on uh, the sets of some bigger budget film, as sometimes happens. And what part of what made me wonder that is because when they first walk in and it is they're they're in a very impressive great hall the girls are going ooh ah and frank says ah it looks like a movie set like, right okay, okay okay was that like a little joke is, is this like some recognizable setting from a famous italian film who knows but uh, yeah castle good good gothic good gothic uh, setting but I was genuinely, I was genuinely impressed with the setting, and like I said, I, I, there, uh, there, there, there needs to be justice for Frank. Much like in the, ha- <laughs> much like in the Halloween series, we need justice for Ben Tramer. There needs to be justice for Frank. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's in the the upside down with Barb. <laughs> and the irritating thing for me. Uh, above and beyond the writer and me cringing every time they said the exact same thing. Within the same sentence, mm-hmm. that just 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 made my balls cringe. Um, Vera at the end of the movie, 
seriously, she turned into such a stereotypical damsel in distress when uh, throughout the whole up until that point she wasn't it was like she just like her characters took a massive downgrade and that just that bugged me it genuinely bugged me because they could have done more with her but instead they just turned her into the traditional screaming having to be safe female that's true i i will give her credit for one thing she did not fall down while running but i think that's something you're only legally allowed to do if you're running from a monster outside uh, or a slasher I think it's much more, much more for mm. for your traditional slashers, not for vampires. Although, no, I take that back. I have seen, I have seen women fall down being chased by vampires too. So, valid point. Valid point. Okay. So for me, fascinating is kind of what this says about Italian cinema. I mean, the Italian national movie making industry is so. I'm going to misuse the word schizophrenic. It just whips back and forth from, I mean, in the earliest days, and I mean the, the, the 1910s, 19-teens, they were doing some very cutting-edge stuff as far as big-budget epics. Uh, Quo Vadis in 1913, I think. Cabiria oh, in 1914. Right. Early epics were, were very influential uh, on world cinema, including our own. And they, they, they've done some... some Amazing work in genre pioneering. I mean, neorealism, peplum films, giallos. Um, but they also have done an equal number in genre ripoffs. I mean, the, the white telephone films in the 1930s, which are ripoffs of, of uh, Starin Rogers pictures, the, the, those horrible Bondian spy spoofs like Operation 007, Spaghetti Westerns, which, I, you know, I don't mind because a lot of them are good. A lot of them are awful. Um, yeah. And this, which is surprisingly enough, an er, a very early example of Italian horror. Horror was not a big thing in, in Italian cinema. Um, but 19- I was going to say, when was Black Sabbath? Black Sabbath is what really brought it to the mainstream, I feel like. Was that 19- and that was, what, 60? I feel so, yeah. And this, this, is the, this is the kind of same thing. This is when they were all jumping on the Hammer Horror bandwagon. <laughs> and the Hammer Horror bandwagon was already starting to kind of slow down. It's just like the Italians are kind of like the Japanese in the way that they will take something and just shamelessly reproduce it. But they will give you something new, something different in this something case. Something nude. Something nude. Exactly. So, yeah, it was it was a hammer horror, but better because nipples. Um, irritating uh, the film. And maybe this is my fault uh, solely because I am watching the movie for the first time from the perspective of the 21st century. Right. Uh, I can't blame it for it, but it sets up the expectation that it's going to be a body count movie, that there's all these strippers in this castle, there's a vampire, and you think they're going to be offed one by one, and no, one girl dies, uh, the manager... We don't actually see her death. We don't see her death. She dies completely off camera. The manager gets scared by boobs and faints, and... uh you know, a, a girl who's already dead dies and a vampire dies. But it's it's really um, quite a quite a hygienic and sanitary film as far as uh, Be, and I'm telling you because and here's why I've said it before. I'm repeating myself. What a shock. Because the movie was not about that. It was about the boobs and the legs. Right. You know, you're you're exactly right. And and it's almost like the vampire plot was just an excuse for, for, for them to take groups of strippers 
which you know it's like the, the horror of spider island kind of the same plot <laughs> yep. but yeah. it's a, but it's a monster instead of a you know it's a, it's a human spider instead of a a vampire. It's the same thing. And I do have to, I will say the dubbing in this is slightly better than the dubbing in Horrors of Spider Island. It's not great. I mean, it's it's good technically as far as matching the mouth movements and, and the ambient sound is perfectly decent. The acting is kind of as as who cares as usual. But um, I don't want to say it irritated me and I'm not even sure I want to say it disappointed me. It It confounded my expectations and made me realize that Wow, this this really was a completely different era in uh, Italian movie making, and it, we would have to wait for the '70s for the giallo thrillers to really start racking up a body count. And again, that's it's kind of as, as gruesome as the the giallo films could be. That was another eruption of creativity in Italian cinema. That was something kind of as horrible as it was. That was something new they were bringing to film, and, and some again something that was that was influential in a worldwide way this this movie for its for its faults and its virtues is is just a retread of a a a, a, ty- a formula that even by 1960 was was getting pretty tired that's about that uh but you know what i don't regret seeing it i wasn't terribly bored the there were some goofy things in it that made me laugh and the 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 pretty ladies were all pretty ladies uh, that's the one thing that I have to say I have to agree with you on there, Scott, is I was not bored. Yeah. So uh, that is know, the all important thing right there. I will forgive almost anything in a movie if it does not bore me. And my my standard for boredom is, is I think, a gold standard because okay. the one film I've people have been telling me for years and years and years to do um, that I cannot bring myself to revisit is the Avengers. I mean, like the 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 '90s one with uh, there was an adaptation of the TV series with oh Ray, Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman. God, that film was so horrible. Yes, and it was horrible for me because it was stunningly boring. I boring. Felt, I felt like it had been smacked between the eyes with one of those you know sticks they use to to stun cattle in a slaughterhouse. It was just it was boring in a way that just drained every ounce of life out of me it wasn't born in a way that made me angry or wanted or you know filled with creative energy and want to strike back it just defeated me in every that, possible that way. was back when uma thurman was in her batman and robin mode right yeah oh and, <laughs> yes uma thurman is a good actress not in those two films so well, this this movie playgirl and the vamp playgirls and the vampire is a better film than the mid-90s adaptation of the Avengers TV series. And if that doesn't tell you something, you haven't seen the mid-90s version of the Avengers television series. Uh, well, let me tell you something. Don't. Don't. And on that note, <laughs> well, it's good to be back. It is. Because we're back to our regular schedule. Yes, we will. we will be back two weeks from... Whenever you hear this, actually, whenever we post this, I don't know when you're going to hear it. Some of you are still listening to shows from six months ago, which is fine. We, you know, please enjoy, enjoy our, uh, our archive. It's there for you. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell people you hate, especially if you know annoying Star Wars fans. Tell them to listen to this show, especially part one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or the uh, Last Jedi show or the Rebel show. They'll get something out of it. It may be only rage, but it'll be something. And then you won't have to get him anything for Christmas. 
<laughs> so thanks for joining us. Jeff and I will be back in two weeks. And until later, later. did it by opening up this this cannabis oil vaporizer dose pen okay which has uh some sort of complex interlocking a series of uh plastic sarcophagi (laughs) and uh way more complicated than uh, it should be for a uh, dope head but uh uh yeah i got this uh for uh, Mary, because she has a little bit of trouble taking the Vicodin for her uh, jaw pain, for her uh, right, right. trigeminal neuralgia. Uh, also, it, that takes a good 45 minutes to an hour before she really feels it. So uh, I thought I would try this because it's supposed to be quick. I'm going to try it right now Ooh. in, in case there's a, um, uh, a learning curve so I can explain it to her because you don't. The last thing you want when you're in pain is a learning curve, no matter how gentle the incline may be. That is uh, very true. You know, I have never actually done the show stoned. Have you? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Um, I, I know Blanche has done it tipsy. She was quite quite tipsy for the uh, uh, Black Panther show. But, you know, she was still making good points and speaking cogently. So uh, good for her. But I have never actually, you know what? I take it back. I did do. Um, I I did the. Uh, I did it once on Ambien. I was gonna say I, I vaguely remember there was a there was a pill episode. Yeah, because you called me. I was getting to bed and you called me in uh, late-ish and said, "Do you you know you do you want to record?" But that wasn't the Slum Gullion. That was the old uh, W uh, right, right. VFR format. Right, right. So I don't count that. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's see. It says inhale normally. Using the mouthpiece, it will buzz when you have delivered the complete dose. All right, let's see if this works.
that's a sound you normally hear on my end. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 